Hello, everyone. What's up, Busan? Uh, my name is Michelle, and I'm honored to be preaching actually my very first Sunday sermon <laughs> here at New Philly, Busan. I have the honor, I guess you guys have, I don't know if it's an honor, but um, <laughs> I have preached once before at Emmaus, uh, which is our college ministry um, in Seoul, but it's still fairly new territory for me, so I thank you in advance for your grace and your understanding. <laughs> Um, I'm just really grateful to be here with you today. I seriously love any chance I get to be in Busan. Um, like all of my good friends in Seoul, they know that I love the beach, I love the sun, I love being tan. And um, I know it's winter right now, but still. Like I will choose a view of the ocean any day. Um, I was actually never a, a city, like a metropolitan city kind of girl. Um, but God in his humor and his providence, he, he called me to Seoul. So now I love Seoul, I call it home. But anyway, I'm glad and I'm grateful to have this opportunity to be here. Um, and just to share a little bit more about me, um, I'm a Kyopo from America, so meaning an ethnic Korean, raised in America. I'm from the East Coast, so I was born in Brooklyn, New York, and I grew up in, oh, New Yorker, okay. And um, are you from Brooklyn? No, just New York, okay. <laughs> um, and then I grew up in New Jersey, uh, and I went to college in the state of North Carolina. And I came to Korea four and a half years ago, and that's actually when the Lord basically told me to buy a one-way ticket and follow him on like a roots journey to the motherland. So here I am, four and a half years later. Um, Korea unexpectedly became the first place that I would truly call home. And that's majorly because of the community that and the spiritual family that God has blessed me with here. Um, and it's also because of the ministry that I've been a part of, which Ine just mentioned, um, is called K1 Prayer Tabernacle, and it's basically our church's house of prayer, and it's a resting place, and uh, I like to think of it as a watering hole, a place to just meet with God, to encounter God, and to worship and pray, and intercede for the nations, for people. Um, it's a place of pretty little structure and a lot of freedom, and uh, I know you guys have had a form of it here through Elizabeth and Tiffany's leading um, Harp and Bowl. And it's so cool to see how you guys as a campus have stewarded um, and really carried an amazing culture of, of freedom and worship and prayer. So I'm really inspired by you all. And um, I heard Ine's message from last week. And so good. Um, and I definitely agree that praise is essential in recalibrating. And especially when we feel like it, the least we probably need it the most. And um, yeah, I really, do, I, I really love uh, worship and music, and I love singing. Um, so yeah, it's just really good to be with you guys today and worship together. Um, but right now, it's time to get into the Word. And so before I do, I'd like to take a moment to pray again. So would you pray with me? Um, Abba Father, thank you so much for this sacred space and time for these um, amazing and beautiful people, these children of yours that you've brought together um, on this day, Lord, in this season, Lord, that somehow you have caused our paths to cross. And uh, God, we're so thankful that we get to come and we get to worship you. We get to um, hear your word. We get to hear your voice, Lord, that we truly have the freedom to access you at any time and any place, Lord. So I pray, Father, anointing um, upon this word, Lord. And I pray, Father, that you will speak 
um, exactly what you want to speak to each person here, Lord, that it wouldn't be my words, um, it wouldn't be any eloquence or lack thereof, but it would just be the spirit, the power of your spirit, Lord, speaking to us today, God. God, thank you so much. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So throughout this week, I was um, worshiping and just praying and, and asking God what to share with you guys and really struggling. And eventually, in a roundabout way, I felt the Holy Spirit leading me to a passage in the book of Philippians. Um, so if you have your Bibles or Bible apps, could you turn with me to Philippians? Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 11. And the title of my message today is Purpose plan and prize purpose plan and prize Uh, once again the passage is philippians chapter 3 verses 7 to 11 and i'll read it right now from the niv 84 but whatever was to my profit i now consider loss for the sake of christ what is more i consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing christ jesus my lord For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Amen. Amen to a pretty intense passage. Probably not going to be like the lyrics to a pump-up, upbeat, hill song, you know, young and free song. Like, like, I want to know you, Christ, in all your suffering. It's like, we we wouldn't sing that, right? Um, It's like not the kind of stuff you dance to, and it really doesn't feel good actually to to read this and come into agreement with it right it's like we read we hear it we're like yeah that's so profound but when you're asked to come into agreement with it that's hard um and apostle paul is not messing around here he and he's really not exaggerating there's this passion and intensity and a gravity to his words that came from way more than just a head knowledge about christ but i believe it came from true fellowship with christ from knowing the person of God, and to the point where Paul's in prison, and he, and he wrote saying these things, that it's still worth it, that it's worth it for Jesus. You know, half the worship songs and the hymns that we sing, I sometimes legitimately cannot open my mouth um, to sing them if I feel like I can't really mean it, if I feel like I can't either mean it in the moment or even sing it in faith. And uh, my favorite example of this is, you guys know the song Oceans by Hillsong. It says, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet would ever wander, and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. And I'm like, okay, do you guys know what you're singing? If you're asking to walk on water, do you know what you're asking for? You're asking for God to put you in an impossible situation. You're asking for God to basically put you where you're stranded on an island with no boat, where your only option is, like, you have to walk on water. Like, you're asking to be stranded. This is a dangerous prayer. And it's beautiful and it's rich and it's faith inspiring. And I love this song because it draws out faith in me that wasn't there before. But I don't like singing empty words. 
And if I can't mean it, and if I can't sing it, in faith at least, um, then I feel like I'm missing the point. But I feel like Paul here, in the whole epistle to the Philippian church, he's writing words that like an average, unaffected person could not write. And he's not just writing like empty nothings. He's not just writing eloquent words. He has a story and a weight behind it, an authority that comes from his story and his experiences. And so let me just paraphrase for you some of Paul's letter um, to the Philippians leading up to the verses I just read. It's, it's a letter of joy and it's a letter of encouragement in the face of adversity. Again, something that could not be made sense of to the world. Um, so Paul's telling the church, like, don't pity me or feel bad for me that I've been imprisoned. He's saying, thank God. Rather, thank God and celebrate with me that he's redeemed it for his glory, causing the gospel to reach more people, causing the family of believers to expand. And he's saying, like, my true sacrifice, it wouldn't be dying. It wouldn't be getting executed or being martyred because then I get to be with Jesus. I gained the best thing ever. And then these hardships on earth would be over. He's saying my true sacrifice is actually to stay here, to stay alive, to, to continue to be with you guys, to continue to overcome pain and hardship for the sake of the gospel being made known. That's the sacrifice. But it's amazing because I, I get to reveal Christ to more people. And so more people get to see, more people get to know and taste Jesus. And so Paul's exhorting the church to be unified, to lean on Holy Spirit for strength and joy and become one with Christ, and rid ourselves of, of pride and selfishness. And um, he's telling the church to have you know, an attitude of thanksgiving and, and rejoicing, considering it a privilege that we get to be poured out. We get to be poured out. We don't have to be poured out. We're not forced to be. We, we get to be poured out, and we get to love God, and we get to love others. And he says in chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. And he's saying, let's not rejoice in all that we've accomplished or earned or done right, but let's rejoice in the freedom and the joy that we have full access to in Christ. Like we don't have to rely on our own strength anymore. We don't have to rely on our adequacy anymore. And that is so freeing. And so that's essentially what Paul's saying here in the first uh, few chapters. And now in this passage, he's saying, when we renounce the need for our works to be credited and for ourselves to be acknowledged, when we both, A, throw away the things that we think qualify us, and B, stop shaming ourselves for the things that we think disqualify us, we get to partake fully in true righteousness. We get to experience our true identity as the righteousness of God in Christ, right? Second Corinthians 5 says, he who knew no sin, Jesus, who knew no sin became sin so that we become the righteousness of God. That's one of our identities. And isn't it crazy that we get to choose? Like this is why love is so powerful. It's a choice. And I know all of you guys have probably heard that before, that love is a choice, not a feeling, but really it is. And when we see it rightly, there's no room for obligation, and there's no room for entitlement. And what I mean is this. When we lose sight of the beauty of choice in love, we feel obligated in giving, and we feel entitled in receiving. We feel obligated in giving, and we feel entitled in receiving. 
We might feel obligated to serve God, to suffer for the sake of the gospel, to sacrifice because that's the, the Christian thing, the right Christian thing to do. And we might feel entitled in receiving. Like, like God, like why aren't you pouring out more blessings on me? Why aren't you being fair to me? Why is my brother over there getting the breakthrough that I've been contending for? Why is my sister over here like always in a good place and I'm over here like fighting depression? But the reality is we get to choose. And I'm not I'm not trying to discount our sufferings or you know these things these struggles they're very real. But what I'm saying is that we get to have as much of God as we want. Did you know that we get to have as much of God and know as much of him as we want? He doesn't withhold himself from us. He says, Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. But the thing is, we often seek shortcuts to get there. I know I do. And in some ways, I feel like my prior hardships have made me feel entitled to some shortcuts. Like, just to share a little bit of my past with you, like, God, you know, I, I lost I lost my mom when I was seven years old to cancer. And then, you know, I didn't really exactly have a, a good situation growing up after that. Um, I had to endure emotional, verbal abuse and depression and all these things. And like, God, I'm tired of pain. I'm tired of suffering. And in the past year, I've had some hard talks and cry sessions with the Lord, and I found myself telling God, I really don't like pain. Like, can we please be done with this? Like, please. Like, the depression, the confusion, the inner turmoil, the insecurity. Is there such a thing, God, as lasting joy? Because, you know, like, I really don't know. I really don't know, because it feels like they, they just come in seasons, and then they leave. And your word says otherwise, but why is it so hard to believe that? Because it seems like something always comes to snatch my joy away. And I wouldn't dare pray what Paul writes here, it, like, especially months ago, a year ago. I wouldn't dare pray this. I want to know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. I was like, I've already joined this fellowship, and I'm done. I'd like to leave. <laughs> like, Paul is crazy. After being imprisoned, He's, he doesn't even use past tense here in the passage. He's, he doesn't say, I have come to know Christ. I have come to know already the fellowship of sufferings. He says, I want to know. Meaning he's not done yet. Meaning he doesn't even want to be done. Like, what? He wants more. That is insane. And what would compel a person to say this? This reminds me, too, of um, a sister that I met earlier this year. She lives in a country where it's illegal for... Um, for her people to convert to Christianity, uh, for Muslims to convert and be a Christian. And she was actually born into a Muslim family, and she's now a Christian. But she was sharing her testimony, and I can't share too many details for safety reasons, but at the end of it, she finished with this. And I knew it was so sincere. She said, with joy, she said, if a knife is put to my neck or a gun to my head, I could never deny my Lord Jesus. And I knew she wasn't just saying that. Like, I knew that she had something. She had experienced something that was so worth living for. And her joy, right, like, it's so weighty. It's not just this fluffy joy. It's a, a joy that's been bought. It's been bought with a price. And, and 
man, it's so evident. And when I see people like that, when I see like these writings of Paul, I wonder what would compel them to say this. And I believe that it's this. I believe that Christ is their purpose, Christ is their plan, and Christ is their prize. Our purpose, our plan, and our prize must all be Jesus. And Paul is honing in on this point that he just wants at whatever cost to gain Christ. And he knows there is a cost to that. And it's not a cost for salvation because Jesus has already died for our sins and, and reconciled us to the Father. Salvation is taken care of, but a cost to knowing him more. Remember, we can have as much of God as we want. We can have just enough to get saved from hell, to live the rest of our lives not knowing the, that Holy Spirit himself made a home in us and wants to speak to us and love us and partner with us. We can have just enough of God to listen to the Holy Spirit, but then shut him out when we don't feel like listening because we don't want to be inconvenienced or interrupted. Or we can choose, we get to choose even more, the life of fullness which is indeed the narrow path. There's a reason Jesus calls it the narrow path, right? In all this, the limiting factor is ourselves. It's not God. It's, it's ourselves. It's not God. And you guys are probably already tired of, of hearing me say, we get to, we get to. But I hope it sticks because it's true. We get to love God. We get to live this life of fullness. It's a blessing of choice. And so I want to talk a bit more about these three things, our purpose, our plan, and our prize. Our purpose, this is our why, right, our why. The motivation, the drive, the reason that we live, why we do what we do, why we abstain from what we abstain from. And making Jesus our purpose means living a lifestyle of worship. It's saying he is worthy of every offering, every sacrifice, every action, and whatever we do, we do it unto the Lord not for man, not for ourselves, not for religion, but for the person of Jesus Christ. And making Jesus our purpose means recognizing that in him we live and move and have our being. And it's by his grace that I am what I am. I live for his enjoyment, his pleasure. And it means knowing that the Father has chosen us to be the objects of his affection. He's proven our worth. He's proven your worth by destroying his own son to have us. Like he subjected his own son to being confined in a human body, to false accusation, humiliation, torture, and slaughter, complete separation from himself, and darkness coming from the weight of every sin, past, present, and future. All of that in order to redeem us, his treasured possession. So yes, he is the reason we're alive, not just physically, but spiritually. But he's also the reason we live. We live to worship him. We live to enjoy him. We live to make his name known, to reveal his worth to the earth, simply because of who he is. And if we get to know him, and not just about him, if we get to know the person of Christ and not just about him, we get drawn into this revelation, we can't help but to make him our purpose. Like, it's not just enough for me to stand up here and tell you guys Christ is worthy. It's not enough. Like, my head knowledge, my heart knowledge, my experiences, my history with God can't just be transferred over to you. 
we are all writing, God is writing a story in each of our lives. We're all invited to partner. And it's in the context of relationship and conversation, time spent together, that we see someone's true worth, right? Their personality, what they like, what they don't. So if I'm not feeling motivated and I don't want to do things for Jesus, I know it's no fault of his. Like he doesn't change and his word is truth. I know I'm the one that needs realignment. Like we were even singing that earlier, realign our hearts, God. No, just because I lead worship doesn't mean I'm always in the glory or that it's easy to feel purpose and motivation. The reason I sing, fix my eyes on you, Lord, is because I can't fix my eyes. And the reason I sing like Jesus be the center is because he's not the center. Like, it's, it's hard, but at the same time, it's simple. It's simple because all we have to do is ask. We just say, we just ask, God, come be my one thing. God, I need you. <laughs> be my purpose. I want to be compelled by your love. I want to want it. And I want to bless you, but I can't give you what I haven't first received. I can't give away what I haven't first received. So let me receive your love. Like, let me see who you are for who you really are so that I can sing it back to you, so that I can proclaim your name, so that I can actually live with conviction. Jesus, come be my purpose, my plan, and my prize. So next is the plan. Jesus is the why, but he's also the how, the plan. Paul says here he wants to gain Christ and be found in him. How? He says, by becoming like him in his death. Again, this does not sound very appealing, does it? Um, but this theme of death is alluded to again and again in different ways. First, Paul talks about loss. He's like, I consider all good and bad things a loss because of the worth of knowing Christ. In Matthew 16, Jesus talks about the cost of following him. He's like, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And forever, for whoever would save his life will lose it, Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? But this loss, it's not just loss that remains a loss. It's loss unto ultimate gain. It's finding true life and true satisfaction, a greater joy, a greater goodness than we could have fathomed by trying to preserve what we know, the life that we know. And then Paul alludes again to this theme by talking about suffering, right? The thing that we all want to avoid, suffering. That thing that no human in his right mind would choose without being deeply influenced by something or someone else. Paul says, I want to share in his sufferings. But it's because he's been deeply influenced. He knows that, right, in Romans 5, suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope and hope does not put us to shame it doesn't disappoint us because god has poured out his love into our hearts through the holy spirit so suffering is ultimately onto hope loss is onto ultimate gain suffering onto hope and then in, again in second corinthians one, uh, one paul says praise god the father of compassion and comfort he comforts us in our troubles that we may comfort others in trouble. And just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. So our comfort overflows. Suffering onto not just perseverance, character, and hope, but also comfort. I actually used to write in a, a blog 
and it's been a while. I think I might pick it up again at some point, but have you ever read an old journal entry or a blog or something, an email you wrote, and you think to yourself, dang, I wrote that? Like, that was, that was not me. That was Holy Spirit. <laughs> and, like, it kind of ministers to your current self. Like, you kind of forgot that you even wrote it, and you go back, and you're like, whoa. Um, and that happened to me a few weeks ago, actually, when I was reading my blog, and uh, I was, it was talking about suffering and comfort. And I wrote this. Suffering can be embraced in light of the fellowship and in light of the coming comfort. To experience the depth and the sweetness of comfort, I must have first experienced something that called for that comfort. A beautiful thing about the gospel is that it's for sinners, for those defaulted to darkness. Our darkness is what makes us eligible to receive transformative light. My suffering and my brokenness make me all the more eligible to receive God's comfort and his goodness because he won't deny the broken and contract. Suffering begets perseverance, character, hope, and comfort. So when we suffer, it's basically a promise. When you're suffering, it's a, it's a promise for comfort. And like the Holy Spirit, he's our, he's our comforter, he's our counselor. He lives within us. So we're promised comfort. And I'm not saying we should go out and seek ways to suffer, you know. As we all know, suffering finds its way easily enough to us in this broken world. And we don't need to prove anything or earn anything by going out and, and suffering more for Jesus because Christ already conquered death. But now when suffering comes, which it will, we get to rejoice. We get to choose joy. We get to sound crazy like Paul does to the world because we know that it's not for nothing. Loss unto gain, suffering unto hope and comfort, death unto resurrection life. He says, I want to know the power of his resurrection, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. God can't resurrect something that's not dead. So when we're facing a breakdown, emotionally, mentally, physically, it means we're on the brink of breakthrough, right? We're like a magnet for resurrection power. Like the more of us that is broken before him, the more God has to work with in making something new and making something beautiful. The problem is, like I said before, we don't have the patience and we just want to fast forward. I always tell God this, like I wish I could just fast forward. And we want so badly to avoid pain. We pray Psalm 139, God, search me. Search me and know me, know my heart, and see if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And then just as he starts searching us out, we're like, okay, never mind. I don't like how that feels. <laughs> and like, I don't like what's coming out. It's too painful. I can't be bothered. And then we shut it, right? God's the great physician, and he's performing, it's like he's performing surgery on us, and like, we say, God, you're just taking way too long, and we try to just jump off the operation table and move on with life. That's basically what we do. We're like, maybe I can just live with this limp. Maybe I'd rather die an early death than just, than, than, you know, get these smoker lungs repaired and fixed. I don't want to go through the pain. <laughs> like, we tell God this, not knowing that on the other side is a new knee that waits for us, a new pair of lungs, a new heart, a renewed zeal for life. But are we willing to risk losing what we know, what's familiar, in order to gain something 
better that's not familiar? Honestly, it's not even about the new knee or the new whatever. Like we get to know God so much more intimately when we remain present in our process. I once heard um, a wise woman say, um, be in your life. This was her saying. She would always say, be in your life. I was like, what does that mean? And basically she was saying like, you can live your life, but basically be passive. Like let it pass you by. She's like, be in your life. Be present in your life. Be the protagonist, the active person, the main character in your life. Because it's really easy not to be. It becomes enjoyable. Even through, like, initially what's painful, because what's, when our hearts start to get exposed, it's painful. It becomes enjoyable because every lie about the Father that we believed, it begins to get undone. And we firsthand get to experience his tender love towards us instead of this counterfeit love that we've believed in. And we're like flinching before it happens. We're like waiting because we think it's going to hurt us. But in reality, God's just comforting us. And he's speaking kindness to us while we're going through like the surgery. And And then we see, wow, he's actually really gentle. He's really amazing. He's so kind. He's so loving. And we wouldn't have gotten to see this, all of this, if we fast-forwarded to skip the pain, right? And you know, Paul isn't even talking about just gaining something better for himself, though this is all definitely a great byproduct of, of all this. He's joining in Christ's suffering for the sake of others coming to know Christ. Like He's not just beating himself up for no reason. He's doing it all into something way grander, way bigger. Like He knows his suffering, his dying to himself, is leading to resurrection life, not just in himself, but in so many other lives. His imprisonment led to salvation of so many more than if he hadn't been, right? A multiplication of fruit. Resurrection of souls, resurrection, power, life, comfort, joy, hope, all multiplied in so many other people that are getting to know Christ. So that is the plan. How do we live? We become like Jesus in his sufferings. He's our purpose, and he's our plan. And lastly, he is our prize. So he's our why, our how, and now our what. He is the reward. He is our goal. We press on for the greatness of knowing him, being with him forever in glory. And when Paul says he wants to attain the resurrection from the dead, I believe he means both spiritually and literally. I guess we receive spiritual resurrection um, by the blood of Christ. And yes, we are being renewed day by day. Yes, our dead dreams, our dead desires, our broken relationships, our hearts, they're all being revived. And yes, we are you know, called to die to ourselves. But literally, also Jesus will come back. And on that day of his coming, there will be a literal resurrection of bodies. So I think the greatest fulfillment of this verse, this word, is actually in the return of Jesus Christ himself. Like If we die, the Bible says if we die before he comes, we'll be raised to life in our resurrected, glorified bodies when he returns. And if we're alive when he returns, which is possible, um, then our bodies will be transformed when he comes back into our redeemed, glorified bodies. Philippians 3.21 says, Christ will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. And it's not just these glorious, immortal, 
imperishable bodies that we get, but it's everything that comes along with it. It's so glorious. We get no more pain. Our longings fully satisfied unceasingly because we will be with Jesus into eternity. No fleshly thoughts, no distractions, no annoyances, nothing that hinders love anymore. Nothing that hinders being fully present. It's so hard for us to stay present, right? But on that day, it won't be hard anymore. Just blissful fellowship and co-reigning, coexisting with Christ and with the fellowship of believers. This is what we have to look forward to, everyone. Jesus himself is our prize. And he's the one we cannot see right now with plain eyes, but, but we still worship and we love him. He's the one that we're getting to know even while living in these earthly, broken, deteriorating bodies. We know in part right now. We have in part. We prophesy in part. But later we will know him fully. And we will have complete, unbroken fellowship with him. I know that all of us here are at different places in life, um, but one thing I know we have in common is our humanity, and thus our longing to have purpose and our longing to overcome trials and our longing to know how to live this life. And I don't say this lightly, and I don't say this as just a Sunday school answer, but what we have in common is this, that we need Jesus. He is our purpose. He is our plan. He is our prize. So I want to end. Um, I'm going to invite Elizabeth to come up. I want to end by reading the passage one more time and praying. So um, you guys can close your eyes if you want to just listen to the word and, and let it speak to you. And you can come into agreement with it in your heart and ask the Lord to, re- to reveal more of himself so that he becomes the one thing. Philippians 3, 7 to 11. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, that I may know him, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and may share his suffering becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Lord, we want to know you. That's our simple prayer today. We want a greater revelation of your love, your worth, your character. We want to know you as a person, as the one who is worth living for and dying for. God, it's a win-win situation we have here in, in knowing you, where we don't just give up everything and just lose it, but where every loss, every sacrifice is turned into something so much greater than we can imagine. 
where every detail of our lives is being redeemed. Because when we lose, we gain. When we suffer, we gain comfort and hope. And we can do it all in joy because we know you, Lord. And even if right now in this very moment we can't feel that, even if right now it's so hard to believe that, God, you're so willing to reveal yourself. You don't withhold yourself, God. So take us deeper. Take us deeper, Lord, into the knowledge of you, Lord. Jesus, your purpose. Jesus, becoming like you is the plan. And Jesus, you are our ultimate reward. You are our prize. We love you, Lord. And we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.